this podcast Brett from Akamai talks about forecasting and his world as a chief data strategist stay tuned Welcome everyone to another episode of Future of Data podcast. Today we have with us a very special guest. So we have Brett McLaughlin from Akamai and he's a chief data strategist. We this so he is the first chief data strategist that we are talking to and I'm super excited and pumped to have a conversation with him. Brett, welcome to our podcast and uh, thank you for 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 accepting our invite. Of course, I'm excited to be here. Beautiful. So I think as as a start, I would love to know your background. And I, I I did some research, but I think you have a very fabulous and very vibrant background. Why don't you walk our guests through your journey of how you are here, where you are here, and and what has uh, what what was your background? That would be really really amazing. Oh sure, yeah. So um, yeah, but my background started uh, very differently from um, most of the uh, proper, say, data scientists that you'll see. And that my background um, was really in reporting. Uh, so like, I started uh, my career, I graduated uh, from uh, Emory University in uh, 1995 uh, and uh, immediately jumped into what was then uh, the hot new field of data warehousing. And so that was really this idea that, that, um, that like, you know, companies were starting to realize that um, one, they had access to a lot of data because they were starting to digitize more and more. Uh, and then two, that the data wasn't really in a format that really let them easily report on it. And so, so around that time, there was this whole concept of saying like, oh, well, we should like have somebody come in, take all of our data, um, and restructure it into um, things which are that you know a new term then, an old term now, called like a star schema, a snowflake mm-hmm. schema, which is basically it's really the idea of, of like you know, can you resolve a product dimension from your data, a customer dimension, and so on and so forth. Um, and if you could do that, and you could organize it that way, then maybe you could pull uh, all sorts of reports. So that was kind of the theory behind data warehousing, and it worked out fabulously. And so, what was um, you know kind of relatively fringe in uh, in 1995 uh, by 2005 was was passe. I mean, by that point, everybody had a data warehouse. I mean, today, like virtually everybody has a data. Every every you know medium to large company has a data warehouse. Right. So I started building those, and so um, and so yeah. So early on, uh, I worked for a couple uh, data warehousing consulting companies. Um, and then I decided, I'm like, I want to I really learn the skills properly. Um, and so I applied for a job at Oracle in their data warehousing um, uh, engine building team, which mm-hmm. they used this tool called Express, where it was half uh, Oracle database proper, you know, just Oracle. You know, um, and so that's their relational database. And then they had this multidimensional one called uh, Express. And so basically I spent a couple years there um, uh, learning about that. And, and while I was there, we're really taking great advantage of their um, of all their certifications, they they just had started to have this uh, Oracle Certified DBA training, where it was used for uh, grueling exams. Uh, they they actually modeled it on the uh, the CPA exams, as far mm-hmm. as like you know how difficult it was and what requirements were to get it, and so on and so forth. Uh, so they took it really seriously when Oracle first came out their their Oracle Certified DBA um, or Oracle Certified Professional Program. And since I was working at Oracle, then I got all the the training for free. Um, and so, yeah, so I spent a couple of years really just, you know, grinding out about like how exactly do databases work? Uh, how do you write queries um, to do various things? Um, and so then uh, shortly after that, 
Uh, I left Oracle and I went to a startup called Akamai, uh, which is where I am today, but I kind of took a roundabout way of getting back here. So, um, so I started Akamai in 2000, I'm sorry, in 1999. Um, I was there through 2001, um, and then I flitted off and started my own consulting company. Um, and I worked at a whole bunch of places. I worked at Lenovo, um, a couple biotechs, uh, some financial companies. Um, and really, you know, it, and, and over the next eight years, um, what I did slowly evolved. Like first it was, can you build us a data warehouse? Mm. Then it was, can you help us figure out what reports we should be pulling from this data warehouse? And so it like slowly blended from, um, from more plug and chug data warehousing problems to more management accounting problems about like, well, like how are we supposed to look at it? How are other companies looking at their data? Uh, and so along that time, like I, I, I'm kind of a nut for certifications. And so I like, I gobbled up ones on, uh, you know, certified supply chain professional. And, and there's this Institute of Management Accountants um, here in the United States um, uh, that, um, yeah, basically has a, this uh, management accounting certification. And so I spent a couple of years uh, getting that under my belt. That too was actually modeled on the CPA. And then it, it's four exams, uh, all about like, you know, how can you best represent internal data? Um, so, yeah, so I spent years, you know, um, you know, evolving more from a um, data warehouse, you know, data architect type of person into more of a management consulting person. Um, and, uh, and it was funny because like, it was around then that I had this really interesting thought that like I only learned the, the answer to later. I was actually writing in, uh, in my, my blog and I, I had this, this uh, entry about, uh, you know, where did all the math go? And I was talking about like how you know here I am writing all this um, all these really complicated reports, um, you know using uh, you know best practices to report on data, and yet somehow all I need is some min max average count, like those five functions right there, and that's everything I ever do. I'm like, whatever happened to logarithms and sine waves mm. and differentials and like all that other math? Um, and I didn't know at the time. It just seemed like oh maybe that was all kind of a flash in the pan. Um, so what ended up happening? Is um, so in 2009, um, my dear friend uh, Kate Prouty, uh, who's still here at Akamai, she reached out to me about this this plum opportunity um, to come back to Akamai and lead a project to help them forecast revenue. Um, so specifically, uh, uh, Akamai had had a really bad quarter where their revenue forecast had missed um, by a lot, and so um, so uh, the the then chief science officer, now chief executive officer, Tom Layton. Um, basically said he wanted to start a project to, you know, have a robot forecast revenue rather than having people do it. And so I came in basically to do that. Um, and that was really, and so 2009, that was when I, I really first started delving into um, a lot of uh, hardcore data science. Uh, mm -hmm. Prior to that, I did do some uh, data science. I mean, like, for example, um, I, I do a lot of stuff with, uh, with marginal utility curves. And that's like when, when you have, like, multiple options on how, like, um, basically, if you're trying to score um, the benefit of different things um, using logarithms to say, basically, like, what logarithms let you do is, is say that if I have, like, five units of something, that's good. But if I, if I have ten units of it, it's not twice as good. Mm -hmm. It's, like, better. Maybe, like, five units, like, uh, you know, five units of goodness is the same as another marginal 25 units of goodness, you know? So it's mm -hmm. kind of like saying, oh, you, you can take off, you know, one day, um, you know, uh, you know, one day, or you can work from home one day a year, you know, like that's really good. You know, like if you didn't have any days off and you could work one day home from a year, like that's, that'd be really good. Um, but they said, okay, now you can take off 30 days per year, or you work from home 30 days a year. That's good, but it's not 
like the marginal benefit isn't 30 times as great. Mm. Sorry, I, I don't know. But, but in any case, so I did have some, a lot of stuff with logarithms, but, but not really forecasting proper, not really trending and seasonality and, and, uh, and, you know, and a, a lot of, of headier forecasting concepts. So that's when I really started delving into it. Um, and so, so in any case, so I, I built the uh, revenue forecasting model, um, which is really interesting. I learned a lot about, about forecasts and uh, how they're used, um, circumstances which, by the way, you need to have a person build a forecast. That was one thing that was a real eye-opener for me. Um, so uh, not to, to jump ahead, but like I kind of was of the, of the assumption that if, if a robot, you know, if an algorithm could generate a better revenue forecast than people could, then you'd use it. Mm. I mean, it just seems so obvious. Um, not so. That's one thing I've learned that, like, uh, and I've subsequently had this confirmed with other companies. At first glance, you might think like that's preposterous. Like, if 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 the computer has a lower error rate forecasting traffic than people do, why would you ever not want to use it? And what it comes down to is that there is this concept of a throat to choke, mm. which is that if you have a company. And let's say there's like ten organi- ten divisions. Um, by the way, is it okay if I if I, if I jump ahead? If I jump ahead, sorry, it's sure. just it's an interesting story. Yeah. Okay. Thanks. <laughs> Feel free to like re uh, repoint me at any moment. <laughs> um, but this is really interesting because I spent the first two years um, generating this lovely traffic algorithm uh, or, or this uh, traffic forecasting algorithm, and then we use that to, to forecast revenue. Um, and uh, Actually, it probably makes sense for me to step back for a minute and explain what Akamai does right. and how we forecast revenue here. Uh, so Akamai um, makes websites uh, fast, secure, and reliable. You know, fast speaks for itself. You know, secure mm-hmm. means you know it can't be hacked from a, a thousand ways of being hacked because these days, um, you know, there's there's so many uh, ways you can attack a website. Like for example, mm-hmm. you can go after the recursive DNS part of the, of the website, which most people don't even know exists. Um, a, a few months ago, there was a site called Dyn, D-Y-N, um, and they, um, they handled uh, DNS. Uh, basically, it, it has to do with like, kind of like how you point to different servers that have data. So it's not the data, it's, it's not the web content you're delivering itself, but more of a, oh, go to this server to get it. And so this is called domain name server DNS. And so Amazon um, used this company called Dyn. Dyn got hacked. Um, and so that's just one of a thousand ways a company's going to hack your sites is hack your DNS or there's like distributed uh, denial of service attacks mm-hmm. where they don't really hack you so much as just overwhelm you. Um, but in any case, uh, Akamai um, uh, takes care of all that. So we make sites um, uh, super fast. Um, oh, and, and um, yeah, so super fast, very um, secure and reliable, meaning they never go down. Um, and so the, the way we make sites fast um, is that we have a network of now approaching 300,000 servers all over the world. There's 300,000 really high-end um, servers, you know, SSD uh, drives and, and you know, lots of RAM um, and massive hard drives. Mm. Um, and what those servers do is they cache data. So let's say that, um, you know, there's a new uh, chain smokers song um, and everybody wants it. Um, well, uh, what will happen is that you know Apple would give that content to Akamai, and we would mm. distribute that song. So that Chainsmokers song is everywhere. And so when somebody goes to download it, um, usually they're not even leaving their own zip code. I mean, like usually it's like the the place they're getting that song from. Like you might think, like, wow, like how many hops does it take for right. for um, you know for me to get to you know, wherever that song is? And usually it's it's one, you know, and, and um, because we have literally that many servers. 
um, in a, but of course, like w what we're storing on all these servers is constantly ebbing and flowing with, what's, mm. with, with what is most popular, what's most needed. Um, but the, the gist is that um, that uh, uh, in the market, uh, Akamai is seen as uh, the premier content delivery network. There are mm. other ones too, like for example, Amazon. Um, it's telling that Amazon actually hosts their corporate data on Akamai's network, even though they have their own content delivery network. Um, and uh, and so it kind of shows that even companies who do content delivery um, still use Akamai for the tough stuff. Um, and uh, and which is in, uh, and actually for, for a while, I don't know if it's still true, but for a while, it, uh, Akamai had 50 of the top 50 e-commerce sites as its customers, which kind right. of is telling right. about how awesome. good it is. I think yes, you guys uh, you guys host thirty percent of the web traffic, so you better be uh, hosting everyone almost. Yeah. Right? <laughs> so, oh wow, I'm impressed yeah. that you knew that. Yes. yes yeah, yes. we we um, we uh, host thirty percent of the internet traffic, mm -hmm. and then um, so so in any case, um, so so let me talk about um, forecasting and like like how would you forecast revenue for a company like that? Um, so the, the way that we make money is um, we is, is basically it's like cell phone plans. Like picture mm. your cell phone plan where it might be, okay, you'll pay, you know, 50 bucks a month and we will, that will include a hundred minutes of talk time. And then if you, if you talk more than 50 minutes or sorry, hundred minutes, then you'll pay a dollar per minute. Mm. So the so picture like a, a cell phone plan like that. Um, our plans for our customers are kind of like that. So it's more of a, you know, you can push, uh, you know, or like, you know, you'll, you'll pay us a um, thousand bucks a month for, uh, you know, 50 terabytes. I'm making up numbers here, but something right. like that. And then if you push more than 50 terabytes, then then you'll pay, uh, you know, 10 cents per uh, per terabyte or whatever, something like that. Um, so, so the way that uh, when it came to time to forecasting uh, revenue, um, when it came in, uh, I got this one doozy of a requirement, and that's that um, uh, the chief science officer said, I want to forecast revenue, but you can't look at historical revenue. Um, and so, which sounded both like, I don't know, ridiculous when I first heard it. I was like, why, why would you not want us to look at historical revenue? And how the heck are we supposed to do it if we can't look at historical revenue? Um, and he's like, oh, he had, he had good reasons for both, um, or good reasons for the first, at least. Um, that's the, he's like, well, the problem is um, that uh, sometimes our revenue has gone up the past few four quarters. Right. And, and our, like, our markets are volatile. And when revenue has gone up the past four quarters, it's almost impossible no matter how you write an algorithm that's going to forecast revenue based on revenue, it's going to say you're going to keep going up. Right. Because, um, and so he's like, so therefore, like, I need some other way to predict revenue other than just looking in the past. Because, yeah, you'll tell me a lovely revenue forecast, um, and it will be wrong. Uh, you know, whatever there's like a jolt in the market, it'll be wrong. Um, no, I, th I so, think one, so one, thing that, one thing I, that I really like about, about this sort of fascinating request and, and, and even like in our conversation, we talked to a lot of executives uh, who are sort of planning their way ahead. And this is, I think, one of the one of the very groundbreaking thought, right? So that let's 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 look forward, because I think many times you just say, okay, with the system is causal, so we look back, we take this into account, and then and then create a model that that goes forward. And I think the very fact that um, Tom has that much of vision of, okay, let's just stand here and just look forward and and not not look look back in your in your analysis. I think that puts a lot of pressure on you to to be a lot more creative, and and and, yeah. <laughs> and 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 sort of letting all this intuition on like I think as much intuitive capabilities in the model is I think that's, that's fascinating. I think that's a very 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 yeah. uh, not many story I have heard. I think that's why I'm I'm fascinated by uh, by the story for sure. 
Oh, nice. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it kind of reminds me of a. It's an expression of all generals are preparing to win the last war. You heard that? You know, they're always saying like, "What just happened?" Okay, like I'll I'll prepare to win that, and then you get sucker punched again and again and again because of course the next war is never like the last war, um, and uh, and so this is kind of like that, and so um, so so he told me that, and then I had to go off and think about it. I'm like, okay, how the heck am I going to forecast revenue without looking at revenue? And I came up with an idea. I said, like, well, um, our customers have billable traffic, uh, you know, and they they push that every month. And we have uh, uh, contracts with our customers, which can be actually extremely complicated, but nevertheless, we have them. I said, what if we um, forecast internet traffic patterns, forecast the billable traffic for every one of our customers? Hmm. Um, and once we have those, uh, those traffic numbers, then run it through the invoicing system based on the current contracts. And so, and, and so um, what one person told me before, and it's always kind of stuck with me, they said, like, well, that's not really a forecast. That's kind of a simulation. And uh, and that like and I've always like that kind of stuck in my brain. Where like to this day I'm like, what is the difference between a simulation right. and a forecast? Right. And like I don't I don't know where I would draw the line. But, but I was like, yeah, I guess if you, if you think of it that way, I guess it's kind of a yeah, it's a simulation. Um, and so that's what we did. And so we um, um, we ended up obsessing. Uh, we spent like a year and a half. I got I had the, the benefit of working closely with Tom. Where ironically, even though our whole goal was to forecast revenue. We spend all that time trying to figure out how to forecast internet traffic patterns, um, and that we found out was really, really hard. Right. Um, and 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 it's just funny. Like, um, uh, uh, can I can I jump into talking about uh, forecasting traffic and like and how uh, it's funny? Like when people think of forecasting, um, their expectations are greatly set by the few forecasts that they know about, and most people only know about two. Well, there's two that come to mind over and over and over. One is weather, mm. and it's just kind of like everybody has a weather forecast, and everybody is like wants to be first in line to say that the weatherman stinks. Mm. You know, everybody loves to say how much the weatherman stinks. Um, the second is the presidential elections. Mm. You know, they know those forecasts too, um, <clears throat> and uh, and I think actually both of those uh, can shed great light mm. on um, on like what you're up against with the forecast. Um, so let's talk first about the difference between forecasting traffic for customers versus, say, forecasting the election. Um, so if you're forecasting the election, that's actually really easy in comparison. Nothing mm -hmm. is easy in absolute terms, but in right. relative terms, crazy easy. Um, but, I mean, for, for, two, for two reasons. One is, in general, there's only really two options for any one person. I mean, three if you want to get all fancy about it. You know, it's it like you voted for Trump or you voted for Hillary Clinton or I guess you voted for the you know, third party candidate. But mm. so so there's like an extremely limited number of options and every person only votes once. And uh, and as a result, uh, your highs and your lows greatly cancel out. Mm. Um, and uh, that actually there's, there's a name for that. That's called the called the central limit theorem. Right. So central limit theorem. Is, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So so that you know, which is you know, that's why like you know if I flip a coin once and I ask you what it is, you'll be like I don't know. It could be heads or tails. But if I flipped it a thousand times, like you could mm -hmm. take to the bank that you're going to get about half and half. You know, like you don't know what any one flip will do, but but you'd be shocked if you had a thousand flips if they were all heads. You know <laughs> that that would be weird. Um, and so um, yeah, so when it comes to presidential election. Um, you know, uh, your highs and lows cancel out. And as a result, that's why they can say things like, like uh, you know, within 3% you know, confidence, we think the mm. poll will work, you know, where the, um, you know, they'll, they'll you know, interview, you know, um, 
120 people and they exit the polls and then they come up with this 3% confidence and, and all these statisticians all nod their heads and, and you're pretty sure they're all really smart. So you kind of think like, okay, I guess they know what they're doing. Um, so now compare that to forecasting traffic for an individual customer. Hmm. So first off, highs and lows don't really cancel out anymore you know, because um, cause it's just one customer at a time. Um, or, or that was the other thing that I should have mentioned is that like our goal was to get um, uh, a very accurate individual forecast, mm-hmm. um, and then you know, with the hope that then we, those would all add up. And um, well, in any case, so, so yeah, originally we were just looking at traffic. Well, like, okay, how do we focus? Uh, how do we forecast each individual customer? Um, and we found it's really hard. It's really hard because um, first off, like it's not in on or off it's not will the customer have traffic this month or not hmm. it can spike greatly like if you're looking at for example like victoria's secret that like was one of our customers um if you look at their at their traffic uh in you know say august they're not doing much of anything if you look in december it's through the roof right you know so a lot of customers are like ferociously seasonal um and on top of that are constantly like rolling out like new revisions of their software launching new sites consolidating or splitting apart traffic um, and so if, if you look at the, the past of any one of our customers, um, it's it's really, really hard to, to, to forecast it. And, uh, and the the need to mitigate noise uh, is, uh, you know, because basically there's just all this random volatility. And you try to, like, look through that and then sift out, like, okay, what is the true effect of seasonality versus what's just noise? Hmm. Um, and uh, But in any case, so, so we, I had the benefit of uh, you know, spending a year and a half to just come up with a really solid uh, traffic forecast. Um, and then once we had that, we fed it through the, the uh, invoicing system, and uh, and for those of you know people watching this who are vaguely aware of accounting, invoicing and revenue are usually joined at the hip. Mm. So um, usually the only difference between when you invoice a customer for a thousand dollars and when you recognize that thousand as revenue is usually just a matter of timing. Right. And uh, to make to make a long story short, well, that wasn't the big of a deal. So like mm. if we could get the invoices right, our revenue was pretty good. Mm. Um, oh, so let me jump to the to the um, oh no! I guess I already talked about this this concept of um, of throat to choke and le- mm-hmm. like like what. So we came up with this great revenue forecast, and then the CFO was like, "I don't want to use it. Uh, I would love it as a triangulation point, but I can't use it to run the company." And mm-hmm. and I was like shocked. I'm like, "Like why? Why would you not?" Um, very good reasons, and that's because yeah, if if you have like ten groups and um, uh, like so ten business units in your company, and, and you want to. Uh, you're trying to figure out how much money we're going to make in aggregate. So you ask all 10 of them, okay, for your mm-hmm. section of the company, how much money are you going to make? Um, so they give a number, and then you add them up, and that's the forecast. Right. So now when you do it that way, uh, each one of those people uh, feels a strong sense of responsibility mm-hmm. to nail their part, to get it right. right. Um, and so now they're sweating it all quarter to make sure that they, they hit the number that they got. Um, and, and also, if at the end of the quarter they missed – then the CFO can go back and say, uh, "Hey, you know, like uh, you're in trouble now because you you, you said X and you didn't deliver X." Mm-hmm. Um, so now compare that to an automated forecast. If there's an automated forecast, then those people are totally off the hook. They're not in charge of anything, so they, they have no compunction to hit the number because they didn't even give the number. You know, and and so um, and and if anything, uh, there's a great incentive just to 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 grouse about the number. No matter what the number is, it's easy for them to say like. Oh, that's way too high. Like you're being too too, too ambitious, you know. Um, because uh, th- there's no benefit for them to say, "Oh, that number's too low." There's great benefit for them to say it's too high. 
Um, and so, but anyway, to make a long story short, yeah, like a lot of times, like what is true from a mathematical sense, and I think you and I have talked about this before about how, like, uh, you know, data science often kind of um, exists at the intersection of what makes sense mathematically versus what makes sense operationally. Right. Because sometimes things like mathematically, of course you'd want to do it a certain way. Operationally, not so. Can't do it, won't work. No, and, I, um, I think one, like thing, like, one thing definitely I, that I do appreciate here is so, um, and I think we, we talked about it, the art of doing business and science of doing business. And I think the very fact that you, you, like you made your model account for, um, hey, it's, uh, my my sort of my forecast is not really mathematical, but it has operational. It's 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 accommodating operational hiccup as well. I think that makes it very robust, right? Because now, uh, it's it's the model itself is very human in itself, right? So it can it can accommodate. It's not putting too much pressure on the sales guys. It's saying okay, whatever you go do, and that's what we understand and and we appreciate that. I think that's 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 fascinating, by the way. Well, it's funny. So that's a, you touched upon an interesting point about um, like you know making a model human. Right. Um, I'm convinced that that's like that that terminology is going to become um, that, you, that you're going to hear more of that. And, and the mm-hmm. reason is that um, it's funny. Like I, I often give this. Um, sorry, I work with a lot of data scientists, and I see like how they've been trained, and I feel like I have to kind of like untrain the data scientists that work sometimes on like like bad habits and. Um, <laughs> So yeah, like, let me uh, describe like how I perceive them being trained right. uh, and what's wrong with that. So um, it seems like the way the schools train data modelers is they say, okay, here's some data. Um, you know, uh, find uh, the model that best predicts. Um, you know, the basically best predicts whatever you're trying to predict, um, and throw as much math at it as you can. Hmm. And so you know, they have these really heady models in Python and R. Um, you know, using, uh, you know, with random forests or, um, you know, all sorts of like, you know, time series, Box Jenkins. I mean, like, like I, I'm familiar with all the models. I mean, like, right. or I, I certainly know a, like a lot of them. Um, and so they throw all this math at it uh, to try to come with the best answer. And they are graded based on how well they do. Um, now, um, I do think that in some areas of business that works, but mostly it doesn't work no. at all. Right. And that uh, actually, and this, this might sound... Um, <laughs> perverse, uh, that accuracy is actually not the most important thing, mm-hmm. which sounds crazy. So here, let me explain such a, such a crazy statement, okay? Um, what, what I mean by that is accuracy given your assumptions is not uh, mm-hmm. the height of, of, uh, That's true. of it. Because, um, so, so consider this. Consider if, uh, or, sorry, how, let me take this back. Yeah, so here, here's how a lot of data scientists kind of thought the world was going to work, mm. is they would be given a a problem, uh, they would collect some data, um, make the best you know, mathem- um, you know, mathematical um, uh, forecast they can with that data set, uh, come up with something that, that is, you know, is mathematically spectacular, um, and then everybody would love it and they would all use it and they would win awards and stuff like that, and that would be the end of that. Um, right. That's not how it plays out. Uh, it was funny, I think partly because like, I came up from a different perspective. I came up from the perspective of building m- progressively more sophisticated reports rather than, uh, and like the forecasting was secondary, rather than saying like, oh, well, it's all about the model, and then the reporting is secondary. Um, right. so, so, let me give you, so let me give you a real life example um, of how people think it plays out versus how it does. Um, and so imagine if um, uh, somebody asked me to make a model to determine which kids in, um, uh, in a school 
should qualify for um, uh, special education. Okay. Mm. Um, so, and so I, you know, I, I, I looked through it and I, I realized that there's, there's resource constraints of like, well, how many kids could we even afford to put in special education and how many kids are there and what are the different ways you could evaluate a kid? So I come up with a model. I'm like, okay, this is my best model. Um, and, uh, and let's say it uses some really heady math. Let's say that I don't even really know how it works. Right. I just know that like I just put it in and it just it just said here are the coefficients and that that best you know predict blah 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 and I'll use that. Okay, so I've got my model. Um, now I'm gonna sit down with the parent and that parent uh, and I, I just basically you know I have to convey to that parent like oh yeah your your child's not gonna qualify for special education this year and that parent seriously seriously thinks that that they should. Right. Um, um, they're gonna want to know how the model works. Mm. Uh, they're not going to say, oh, does it use a lot of math? Oh, okay. As long as it uses graph theory, then I'm sure it's, it's, it's way smarter than I am. Um, so, so one is they're going to want to know. Two is they will know more information about their child than you did then, yes. when you made the model. I think that's and, uh, a very, very so interesting note, point. Yes. It is. And it's funny because, like, uh, yeah, so, so the, they'll know all sorts of stuff that um, – that you couldn't have practically put it in the model because you couldn't have collected that information about all the kids. I think so. Uh, however, you, I think you have a very interesting point here. So I, I, I just, I'm, pardon me, I'm just jumping in the middle quickly because I, please, I, yeah, yeah. I think so. Yesterday, I went to this charity and I, and, and I met this uh, a professor from mathematics and, and I, I was having this interesting discussion with him, and it, it got into a very interesting sort of side. So the thought is, and you would appreciate that. So when math was designed initially right math math mathematics was human's way to visualize something there was no monitors there was no so every mathematical model just tries to draw a circle or a line and then, and then say okay if i'm if i'm going to moon how would that look like and how would the trajectory what all other, other sort of wind and every, and these are all like lines and and circles and and, and spheres that we're trying to explain the phenomena right but now, yep. the, when when we have so much sophisticated visualization models and so much sophistication sort of computer um, algorithms and, and computer systems, many times, like I think, and, and, and you are bringing up some of the interesting point that, like, it's it's not heavy with math, right? Because the math itself is not designed to to exist in today's scenario, the the, the traditional typical math, right? And 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 I was discussing with him that. We have to, even from a mathematical point of view, redesign the entire paradigm because now there's something called, I think, um, error bars, right? So once, so at certain certain uh, uh, values, m many of the equations start to falter. The error increases beyond the permissible limits, and sort of it just cracks down. And it's it's very sort of, and and I think um, one thing that that you are very interestingly raising a point, which I would even let my my audience to sort of think through would be that uh, many times data scientists, we, we try to bring in maths, very typical traditional uh, hardcore maths to prove a model, but that when the math was, that particular model was designed, I think that's another, another area. And I think you are actually hitting it right at the ballpark that uh, the parent, parent know about that kid more than you do or your math does, right? So you are constraining yeah. that prediction or, 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 or that sort of that, that selection criteria on your limited visibility on the situation and not really accommodating the localized scenario of each kid of what they're going through and who would sort of better get the better care. So I think 
that's that's a very interesting point and most of the interesting or successful model that's why have intuition in it as well that's why they want they want to capture some guys thinking okay maybe it does, it's not making sense on on a model sense but i have a i have a nice hunch maybe and that has some role to play in the model as well so i'm, I'm sorry just jump, that thought immediately came in the middle so i, I thought I, i just push it out pretty quickly Oh yeah, yeah. Well, and I think what it comes down to, like, the idea of making a model human is that if you can have your model um, be um, fully explainable, where the other person knows exactly what you looked at and what you didn't, and That's how you reached your conclusion, um, then when they have, when the person using your model has extra information, um, they can complement it. Right. And so, I'll give you a perfect example. of This um, is a. Let's say that I make a traffic forecast, or sorry, a revenue forecast for a given a customer, um, and uh, and that finds its hands into the uh, or finds its way into the hands of the sales rep for that customer. Okay, um, and let's say that that the, the 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 rep is really trying to figure out, like, well, you know, how much how much is this customer going to make? And mm -hmm. so I'm saying, like, oh, they'll make us a hundred thousand dollars over the next three months. Um, now that rep might say, like, well, shoot, like. Um, You know, the next three months are November, December, January. That, those are three really big months for this customer. Um, did he factor that into the model already? Because if he didn't, then I want to add that in. And maybe I did factor it in, and maybe I didn't factor it in. You know, or maybe uh, he'll say like, you know, um, a month and a half from now, the customer is switching over from one product to another, and when they do, um, they're going to they're going to um, push more traffic on our network. Again, did Brett factor that in, or did he not factor it in? Now, if I just say I've got a model and it uses coefficients and it uses high math and it says this, that's all I can tell you. Mm. You know, um, now I'm putting that rep in a really crappy position where, like, um, he can either use my model and totally kind of submit to it, submit right. to whatever high math is doing, or he could throw it in the trash and make his own model. Like, those are the only two options. Like, there's no way for him to complement mine with what he has. Um, And so what, what I've tried to do here at Akamai is like when we make models is say, here's exactly how I did it. And, it, and it's funny, even and things like, awesome. say, like, for, you know, like, like people say like, hey, I, I, I see that you are predicting that they're going to push a lot of traffic in December. Um, why are you <laughs> saying that? Because last December they didn't predict, they didn't push much at all. And, you know, and, and I, I'm at the point where I can say like, oh, well, it's true. Last December they didn't. But the three Decembers before that they did. And so, therefore, um, last December was considered an outlier, you know, and kind of like conveying that to them. Um, but, but then also, um, you know, saying like, but hey, like if you know better, like you know, and you will know better, like you know, because there's, there's this, the, there's, there's this problem in any model of locality is right. that like when you're making the model, it's a little bit kind of pie in the sky, you know, like you're like you don't know the local situation, you know, right. like you're you're just dealing in generalities. No, I think, I think and, 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 and I think one thing that that I really like from our uh, from our last meeting that you actually let your sales folks play with it. I think that's that's the fascinating thing about the, about your sort of uh, your algorithms, right? You would let have let these guys define the values and see what's going on. I think that's that's pretty cool. Oh, sure. Yeah, so I think that's that's yeah, that to to sort of to get their intuition into your model. I think that's that's fascinating as well. Well, it's funny is uh, uh, I I have this, this one kind of uh, amusing uh, anecdote about, um, like, data science is like food science, okay? Or like, like food science was 50 years ago, in that, uh, consider this, consider Wonder Bread for a moment, okay? Um, and uh, imagine if you've been a parent who says, like, oh, yeah, I just, I feed my kid Wonder Bread all the time. That's all I feed them. 
Wonder Bread. Hmm. Like you probably with like you know would not view them as as prestigiously as if they fed their kids the whole grain bread. You know, because hmm. um, Wonder Bread is usually considered like kind of crap bread. Right. You know. Um, but the, the the thing that people often forget is that like when they originally made Wonder Bread, they literally thought Wonder Bread, bread of the gods, like the bread that we'll all eat. Because why would you ever eat that junk when you can eat Wonder Bread? Which sounds like it like, makes me giggle just <laughs> thinking about it. But like, that's what they thought. And right. if you were to say, like, why would you have thought that? Like, why would you think we would all eat Wonder Bread like at the time? And they're like, oh, because we have food scientists. Like, mm-hmm. Wonder Bread is made with food scientists. We have additives and preservatives. And this is back before the term additive and preservative had kind of like a negative connotation. Back then, like, those were like, that's like science laid bare like oh my god like it's, it's like bread it's bread plus plus you know it's like bread plus be better in every way because there's some guy in a lab coat you know like uh you know with, with a vial pouring it into the mix um and like that's not how we see it now you know now if anything we're like i want to know exactly how it was made and like if you have like if you have some like hyper complicated way to make a to make a slice of bread um that's a bad thing not a good thing that's true and, that's and it's kind of like that with models too is that like people want models? Like they want models that are that are simple and understandable. Now I, I do realize that probably right now a lot of people would get upset that I just said simple because it's like, well, hey, you know, like if you stuck to simple stuff, you won't get good results, and that is totally true. Yeah. I mean, like sometimes you need to um, you need to do advanced math. You know, right. like you, know, you need to use eigenvalues, for example. You know, to uh, or or for that matter, even you know logarithms or or you know sine waves. Um, in order to properly predict stuff. Um, however, I think that the, the proper perspective that mm. you should have as a data scientist doing those things is that they're necessary evils. Right. So there's a necessary evil that I have to do this, this math, but um, it doubles the burden on me. It's funny, like, like usually the way most data scientists think about that, if they have to use advanced math, they see that as a win. They see that right. as like a hooray for me because I'm so smart. And like, and, and it, it shows how smart I am that I can use eigenvalues here, um, and it reinforces the value that I'm adding. That is not the right way to look at it. And I like think a, I, I a think better way to look. I think that's what that's what I I, I, I like uh, when when I was looking at your profile. I think that's what because because when you come from the data science science world or data scientist world, I think math math proceeds or at least the science proceeds the art. And I think that's why you're coming from the art world, saying okay. And that's why I think I, I want to humanize this, and that's why you are. I think one thing that's that's very that was very fascinating to me, which I I want users to get, you know, to take away from this this conversation, was how open you are in 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 capturing the feedbacks and thoughts into your model, and how open you are in in sort of in communicating your model's complexity in a very simplistic way, for so people can understand and they can pitch in and they can they can contribute. And I think that's. The, if if you have that mix, that's toxic. Like that's beautiful. That that gets something that is that is that is that is workable. I think that from that point of view, I think that you're doing a great job there for sure. Oh, glad you think so. And uh, I should mention that, um, like, I bet a lot of people right now are thinking, like, yeah, but I bet his models are all terrible. Because <laughs> <You know>, <laughs> if you if you limit yourself to simplicity, um, and that's the thing is, I, I don't limit myself to simplicity. <laughs> just, like, like when when I have to do complicated things. I realize that there's a burden upon me to be able mm. to explain simply to people Absolutely. so they can understand how it works. Um, and uh, and it's funny because like, like even even those basic things like 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 when I interview people like there's like like here's an example of like um, of the type of question 
that like I'll ask in an interview. I'll say like like explain what a geometric average is and why you would ever want to use it, uh, and how is it different from an arithmetic average? Um, and a lot of data scientists like they know geometric averages backwards and forwards, but when mm. they have to put it in plain English, they kind of fall yeah, apart. Yeah. They can say like oh well that's for dependent variables. I'm like okay, what's a dependent variable? Mm. And then like and and. And it's like, and I would have to like remind them to like, look, if you can't, if, if you're using geometric averages in your code um, or in your model, um, then you know people are going to ask like, how did you, how did you combine these numbers to get that average? Because that's not what I got when I did it. Right. You know, and um, and you have to say like, oh, because you're doing an arithmetic <laughs> average, and this is a geometric average, and this, so, so I know, think, and, and this implies that, dependent thing. Yeah? Yes. So I think that's Please. that's right, Lisa. So tell me, I think so. One thing I, I definitely want want to capture in the conversation as well. So uh, I was I was researching your profile, and I think I I read something about forecast with five averages. I I definitely want your attention. And what the hell is that? And and it it sounds it reads beautiful. <laughs> it made sense. So why don't you wish you sh share with our audience what is um, forecast with five averages? Oh sure, yeah. Well, it's funny because like a uh, like the five averages to me it's it's kind of like martial arts where mm -hmm. um, like when people think about martial arts. Usually their their brains go to hurricane kicks and nunchucks and the only like really like exotic flashy stuff. Um, but if you were to like talk to you know to um, you know to a true martial artist, um, like they would say like, well, you really get ninety percent of the value of just learning how to throw a good punch. You know, if you just know how to throw like a really solid punch, like then you're way ahead of the game. You know, like the hurricane kicks, like. You know, you don't actually do a lot of hurricane kicks in real right. life. And if you're trying right. to, then you're probably working too hard. Um, well, it's kind of like that with, with forecasting. And then, like, a lot of um, forecasting um, is really – a forecast, in a lot of ways, is really an average. It's mm. some application of averages. Um, mm. And one thing that I discovered earlier in my career is that, like, there's actually more than one way to take an average. Uh, mm. There's five. Um, and uh, you know, and, and understanding like, like, well, like, when would you want to use each? Because I mean, I've, I've used all them all, like, each all the time. So, and it's funny, like, most people know the first three, which is mean, median, mode, um, right. poor mm -hmm. mode. Everybody makes fun of mode. Like, um, I, I don't know if you recall, like, mode just means like the value that comes up the most often. Right. Um, mm -hmm. And so, if, if I ask you for your quote, like, average, or if I said, like, what do you think is the average favorite flavor of ice cream? You know, mm -hmm. you're like average, average. Ice cream? I can't do that. It's like, no, but you can. It's just, it's probably vanilla or I don't know, maybe uh, chocolate chip cookie dough if my kids have anything to say in the matter. Mm -hmm. um, you know, but basically it's just the value that comes up most often. And so that actually, that's a form of an average. And in fact, like, it's like, where would we be without it? Because basically mm -hmm. mode is how people use to set defaults. Like whatever, mm -hmm. any application. That's like right. one thing that like mm -hmm. in a lot of the models I'll build, I'll say like, whenever you set any, um, when I, like, when I give a model and there's like 10 different um, uh, inputs, whenever somebody sets one, anything they haven't specified, I will set those to the mm. mode of the remaining values. Say, okay, well, you probably wanted these values. And so they're like, a, which like really helps to guide them. So, right. um, <clears throat> but in any case, yeah, so mode is, is, uh, is just, you know, the value that happens most often. You know, median versus mean is really important because you know you know mm. mean of course is just your average. I mean that's just your your classic what grade am I getting in this class average. Add them up, divide by this by the number done. Um, whereas you know median of course is the middle, uh, and that can be really important, especially with crazy data because you know, you um, uh, you know if you want to keep the outliers from skewing your data, so then you mm. use median. Um, so usually people know those three, but then the other two uh, is a geometric average, also known as Kager. It's funny like um. Mm. 
finance people know is CAGR, which is a compound average growth rate and, uh, and or geometric average. That's why it is that if you have a stock, this is funny, this is something that like for years puzzled me. I'm embarrassed to admit it, but maybe about 10 years ago, I was like, oh, that's why I'm wrong. But like if you have a stock and it went up 10% in one year and then it went down by 10% the next year, somehow you're not back to where you started. I was always like, why am I not? I don't get like, why can't I do this math? You know, because like it seems to me that, um, and of course it's because they're compounding. Right. You know, in other words, last year's value is based on, or or this year's value is based on last year's value. So mm. so that that's so that's what they call dependent variables. And uh, and it was funny because uh, early on um, when I was doing traffic forecasts, um, it was really it was this intricate mix of. Um, geometric and arithmetic because if you're saying like well what is the average growth rate of these uh, five companies um, Mm -hmm. then within any one month well that's an arithmetic but if you said like what is the average growth rate of this company over the past five months that's geometric because Mm -hmm. like the past five months growth how much they grew in October affects November but if you're just looking for like you know um, so in any case, so so yet so there's, there's that, and then last but not least, there's one called harmonic, right. the uh, the harmonic average, and that's for um, for rates, and so that's that's a whole. Um, you remember back in like when you studied algebra, when they would give you problems like if you have one machine that can produce a unit every five minutes, and another machine that can produce a unit every nine minutes, and then you and now you have both of those machines, how often can you produce a unit? You know, and like doing those math problems. Um, so basically, like if, if you're using rates, then use something called the harmonic average. And just like um, I feel like, like for any data scientist, it should really start with that. Is like really mm. mastering, like like w- like what are the different averages? When do you use each one? Um, because like if you just know that, um, you could do a lot. You know, like like that's that, that's your that's your solid punches. You know, like the knowing right. that, and then um, you know, it, it, as opposed to your 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 box Jenkins, which is like your hurricane kick. Because you know that's um, you know box Jenkins is this you know this uh, more advanced. Uh, time series algorithm I believe it's time series algorithm um, but like which is really exotic and impressive as hell if you can find a way to pull it off right but more often than not you're just going to confuse everybody and it maybe doesn't even apply to your circumstances you know <laughs> so I think um, uh, <clears throat> well said by the way so now now I'll, I'll go slightly back uh, to, on, on the time when um, so Tom said okay get me this model build me this something that is forward looking future looking right so what is that first thing that comes to you during that? So if, if suppose you need to put something in, in a very constrained environment and, and whatever, right? As, so what what was you thinking then? And what really what were like a couple of steps that you took to, to get started? Oh. And if you can share such, that, that would be helpful. A great question. Yeah. And, uh, and actually, I, I think that, um, so I, I kind of have this, this like secret of like how I build all my models, um, which might be kind of, uh, ghetto. I don't know if that's the right word. Or like kind of sketchy. Um, but like whenever I'm trying to build a model, then I always do it the same way where I think like, okay, well, how would an extremely bright person go about this? And I would do it that way. In other words, in other words like I don't have to solve the problem. Just right. figure out what this somebody thing- else would do and then automate it. Mm. Uh, if, you, if you can. I mean, like you can't always do that. Um, and right. actually, which is really interesting, I could talk about how like um, one term that, uh, well, so, yeah, so well, yeah, I'll talk about that, but I would like to get back to, uh, to like, people have this idea that common sense is, um, is like, easy. No. Common no. sense is, yeah. is, like, I will never build a model that has common sense. 
like, like because because common sense is as a standard, and I can show, I can tell you why. Like I mean, I can give you examples. Common sense as a standard is like a if, if I could ever build a model that that like approached human level common sense, like I would be done. I should I should win every award known to man, and I can I can give examples of like how like how why it is that people think common sense is so simple. But but to get first to like how did I go about building the model? So this is what I thought. I thought like okay, well how would a person know? Um, yeah, sorry. When I was trying to forecast traffic for, for uh, I mean, forecast revenue for um, for our customers, first thing I, I did was say, like, well, how would a sales rep know? Like, how would a sales mm. rep, like somebody really close to the situation, or how would the customer themselves know if they were going to pay a lot or a little? You know, like, I mean, because you figure, like, who would know best? Well, probably the, the customer themselves is going to have a good understanding. So mm. that'd be like, you know, if I wanted to know, you know, how, how many minutes uh, or, you know, or how much, uh, you know, um, you know, Vishal is going to pay for his cell phone. Like who better to ask than you, you know, right. and because and, and, you're close to the situation. And so then I, I quickly was like, oh, like and like how. And so then I was like, OK, how would they know? Well, they much like you would would say, like, how much usage am I doing? You know, am, am I talking a lot this month? No. OK, well, then I don't think I'm going to pay that much. Am I talking of you know, a, a ton of minutes? OK, I'm going to probably pay a lot. Um, and so, um, so that was kind of my, my first idea was say like, okay, how would a, um, how would a customer know? Oh, well they would know based on their traffic. And, uh, and then I'm like, oh, okay. So if I could basically just figure out the traffic and then run that through the invoicing system. Oh, that's another thing, by the way, is that like, like I say running it through the invoicing system, like that's easy. You know, like you can just make a <laughs> forecast and run it through the invoicing system. Like I do think that like one benefit that I had over a lot of say proper data scientists is mastery of SQL um, and the ability to like transform data into just whatever format you need to get the job done. Because in this case, like making the forecast, traffic forecast was one thing, feeding it through the invoicing system in all the formats that needed it was quite another, you know, and, mm. and, and like, so being able to do that was, was tricky, but, but I'm sorry, I, I got off course. Uh, to answer your question, like, how did I go about it? So what, yeah, what I always say is like, well, how would an expert do this? You know, mm. how would an expert, um, know, uh, you know, like how much money we're going to make. And then so and you kind of cheat because like, that's the thing is like people in general have very clever ways of, of, of figuring things out. Like quite often, if you could just automate what a person would do naturally, there's actually a double bonus to that. That's beautiful. One is it's probably, mm. so the, the first bonus, uh, benefit is that it's probably a pretty good way to do it. Okay. Mm. So you can say like, okay, how would a just a super bright person who had to do this manually? How, what would they do? Okay. I'm going to automate that. Um, so that's the first one. The second one, and this is a, uh, is huge value, is uh, I guess actually the three uh, is it, it's very human. Like when you do it that way, and then you explain to people what you did, then it's very pleasing to them because they say, "Oh, that's what I would have done," you know. As opposed to if you just like throw a bunch of math in their face, where they're like, "Dude, like I don't even know what you're talking about," you know. Like so, it's it's very human. But also, when you do it the way they would do it, more often than not. Um, it lets them complement your forecast with other information. Mm. You know? So when I say to the rep, like, well, what I'm doing is, is figuring out what their traffic is based on what they've done in the past, and then I run that through the invoicing system. So now let's say that the, that the rep says, like, oh, uh, I know that they're changing contracts next month. You know, would that have affected what Brett, um, you know, what Brett forecast? And more often than not, um, like they can figure out, like, oh yeah, that would totally affect the forecast. So I can't, tr I can't trust what Brett's going to give me because this is changing one of his base assumptions. Mm. 
Right. You know, or saying like, no, he's he's probably got that under control. Or or finally saying like, okay, I just need to bump up what Brett said a little bit. Like they can do things like that. Whereas if I just said, you know, I put it into the the crazy supercomputer and it spit out this number, like then they're helpless. You know, then there's right. nothing. Yeah. Uh, um, so um, no, that, I, I like that, that makes to, sense. Yeah. Sorry. Yes. I'd like to get back to uh to common sense for a moment and like right. why it is that like <clears throat> everybody loves to deride common sense. Um, and uh, so. Uh, can I expand upon like why getting common sense is so hard? Or because uh, I, I think people miss this. They think common sense is just like is is basic. In other words, they're like, well, common sense would never take the you know the sine wave or, or uh, derivative of something, and that's I guess more or less true. But what common sense has, which is so incredibly valuable, um, is dynamic materiality. And so mm. I give you the example of this. Okay? So mm. imagine if you said, Brett, make an algorithm that's going to predict, um, uh, it's going to predict um, whether I will find a certain person attractive as a, as a mate. You know, in other words, like, like you know, like something that's going to predict which women I should ask out on a date, or something like that. Okay. Um, and so I make my model. Um, so now consider this. I'll, I'll give you some some people that I, it could have considered. Um, the first woman, um, uh, you know, spent time in jail. Second woman has terminal cancer. The third one, um, you know, lives with her parents. Like, would I have known to factor those things in? These kind of like low probability events. Um, yeah, so it's like low probability, but they matter if you know them. High impact. You know, it's better. And and that's the thing is like like if I were to stay with a girl, and uh, and she had terminal cancer. You might be like, Brett, like, <laughs> don't set me up with a girl if she's a terminal cancer. Sorry, really, that's politically crazy. Correct, I shouldn't. But, like, you know, in other words, it could be something that's, like, that's like egregiously bad, mm. but very, very uncommon. And, like, and uh, where people know it on site, you know, like, uh, or if I say with a girl who was, like, a billionaire, you know, like, like, that's very relevant, you know, as opposed to if I say you up with a girl who... Um, tends to take back roads to get to work rather than the high rather than the highway. That is not very relevant. Mm. You know, like um, models don't usually like like what it really comes down to is that um, um, to really nail common sense, you would have to handle um, uh, you know thousands and thousands of these like little edge cases that are all mm. obvious once you know to look for them. But you just have to know to look for them. You know, and and like so common sense knows those things. Where like my model would never predicts those things you know it's not gonna no i think so so you are actually raising one very interesting point and i could like to quickly jump in so one thing that that, one thing that 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 that's that i use a lot i i I read a lot and i read a lot of history so so i think many of the problem business problems are either like i i find a solution either in some war scenario with some general and how they attack and so the idea is that if like I'm looking for the intuition, right? So what? So in that scenario, what was the in, what was the intuition saying for someone who is actually doing this thing again and again? Whether it's a finding finding where where to invade next, whether you figure out if you have less workforce and you want to you are battling with the army of those like big armies, how would you do that? Or or, yeah. or whether you, whether you say a, a, a typical natural evolution, I think you have a brilliant point of finding a parallel story and, and, and sort of, and, and from that take the inspiration into your model. And, and, and if, because you know, there it works and you have seen it, it, it works. 
so there's a yeah. strong confidence that probably if in your case it would translate to some success as well if not like it, it won't be catastrophic failure at the least so from i think that's, sure. a, that's a beautiful point that you said that um having sort of some parallel to sort of map it and that's how that's how you envisioned uh, when you just jumped on that problem that was very helpful oh sure yeah yeah but you're right we, uh reading about uh how other people have done it um you know uh is 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 powerful but it, but especially the thing is like when it, when it comes to to algorithms on how to um like uh forecast things i i do think that that a lot of data scientists pay little respect to how people do it now you know mm. and 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 uh um because there's this there's kind of this distaste for like well like i'm going to apply such advanced math i don't even care how they do it now without saying like well like what if i took exactly how they do it now and just try to like make it one fully automated and two like you know like spot the mm. flaws in what they're doing now and improve them um you might find that, that like there's you know it that, that when you don't, when you start from scratch every time, uh, and uh, that it's kind of throwing the baby out with the bathwater, you know, mm. that like a lot of times, like there can be real insights into like how people are already applying data science. They're just not calling it data science, you know, but, but like people are already today forecasting deals, valuing things, prioritizing, stack ranking, like they're doing all these things. So right. Somehow like the world goes on and some people are more successful than others. And so it's paying a closer attention of like, like, the respect for how they do it, and then saying like, "Oh, maybe I should just automate what they do today." And, uh, so, and you know, what I, I found is that's well said. So I think one thing that definitely I want your perspective on is so what? Who is your ideal hire? So if if you want to hire someone, like who is your uh, your darling hire when it comes to sort of? Oh, uh, sure. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's um, it's tricky. We like uh, there's one other area we haven't spoken about. Um, that because that's technical skills. So as mm. far as like what what technical skills would you want? Um, and uh, and here like I am definitely uh, against the, the the mainstream right now. The mainstream right mm. now says oh it's all about R and Python. R and Python those are the best. Everybody used R and Python. Like um, most of my models they build in SQL, um, mm. and you can do amazing things in SQL. The problem is that most data scientists are just trained like SQL. That's just the thing that gives me my data. Right. You know, like that's just like that's that's like the the data butler. You know, but you can't actually do anything in SQL. No, you can do amazing things in SQL. Mm. In fact, case in point, like like Akamai, um, that that traffic forecasting algorithm that I was telling you about before. Um, uh, I built that in SQL. I mean, it, it's some pretty heady SQL logic. Mm. Um, but then after the fact, a few years later, um, five years later, so I built that in 2009, 2010. So then 2000, no, it was 2013, um, IT hired two data scientists, and they used Python and R. And, and they came in to rebuild it. Um, the idea that they couldn't do better was, like, not on the table. I mean, they're like, well, of course we're going to do better. And, and basically, like, from their perspective, it, it seemed like, it, it's almost like they, they saw that I built, like, a skyscraper out of wood. You know, they're like, wow, you built this amazing engine in SQL? <laughs> You're not supposed to use SQL for that. You're supposed to use R and Python. It's kind of like they said, like, uh, we, have, we have steel for your tall buildings, Brett. You shouldn't really be building them out of wood. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and so they spent a year on it, and they, they said, just keep it. It's better the way it is now. So we generally what they said. They said, like, well, we can make it better. That's, data scientists are never going to tell you they can't make it better. They said, like, right. we can make it better, but... It won't be materially better, and nobody will understand what it does. So just keep what you have now. Um, 
but it's funny because actually, like, uh, one thing that I've really been honing my skills on um, is like solving mathematical problems uh, mm-hmm. using SQL. Like taking all these like you know advanced algebraic and and, you know, uh, and you know, just you know, either algebraic or calculus or, you know, problems, and then say like, can I can I write a SQL statement to do that? Like like here, case in point, like there was one I just solved uh, yesterday in SQL. But me and my friend Vinod with this book, this is right here, this. Uh, Shakuntala Devi. This is like yes. this famous Indian I'm, woman. I'm a big she fan. About yes. I think I'm almost every Indian oh, really? is fan of Shakuntala Devi. Yes. Oh, I didn't know that. Wow. She's okay, brilliant. So, so like, yeah, yeah, she, yeah, she really yeah. is. And so, yeah. so like, we take her problems and we try to solve them using nothing but SQL. And so like, I'll just to give you a flavor of like, nice. this is the problem we just solved yesterday in SQL, and it took us about a minute and a half. And like, I freaking dare people in R and Python like can you even do that a minute and a half and then by a minute and a half I don't mean that's how long it run, ran I mean like that's how long it took us to write the program and so here, here it is it said um, uh, uh, consider the set of numbers from one uh, consider the set of nine digit numbers that contain one of each non-zero digit so therefore the number mm-hmm. one two three four five six seven eight nine two Nine eight seven six five four three two one. Mm. Okay, so like every so and the, the combination between those between those yeah yeah all the yeah, all the combinations of, of those nine digits. Um, what is the largest and the smallest number that has an integer square root? And um and which is kind of tricky. Like wow. oh like how would you even do that? And uh and so like we like here I'll I'll, I'll send you the code. And so if, <laughs> if you have like on on the, the uh just so in case people like bullshit you can't do that in SQL. Like, um, I, 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 I would I would agree with those guys. So <laughs> <laughs> no, you can do you SQL. It's funny. Like SQL is set theory, and set theory is ferociously powerful. Mm. It's all about like aggregating and comparing individuals <laughs> to sets and 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 combinations. And uh, yes, yeah, so I'll I'll send you the uh, the actual code. That would be awesome. Out. I think I, I'll paste it out for for users to see. So, Brett, uh, I think that brings us to almost the end of, of the conversation. Oh, yeah. So, one thing um, uh, definitely I want to hear from you before we part. Um, yeah. So, what is, uh, what is your suggestion for new and emerging leader who has just got into the situation of design something for me or my companies or put a data science team together or, or design it or make me smart? Through data, like what were what were what are you some of the suggestions that you give to this this mythical magical guy uh, who is jumping on this role of leading a group of data science professionals to deliver data driven intelligence? So, what are some of the thoughts? Okay, so um, uh, first one is and the most important: don't fall in love with the math. So many people fall in love with math. And they fall in love with like, oh, graph theory. I love graph theory. It's amazing in so many ways. And um, and before they know it, they're just trying to find um, a solution for this lovely math that they have, um, not realizing that that's just like that's just suboptimal. It's not good, you know. So like like fall in love with helping people do better work. You know, if you really think about you know information theory and like, well, what is the value of information? You know, and and you know, I, I think at this point like. It's common knowledge that the value of information is measured in the uh, the, the um, marginal improvement in the decisions that are made using it. Mm. You know, so if you have like math and it's like really impressive math, but it doesn't really help anybody make decisions, or or maybe it would, but nobody's using it because um, you know because they don't really know how it works. They're all spooked by it. Um, then that has very low value. 
you know, whereas if you do something that is like really lame or seems lame, but it really helps. And maybe just taking like a, a weighted average of something. I don't know. I mean, but just if you're in some situation where you're like, oh, it's, it's really not that much to it, but it's definitely substantially better than they're doing now. Right. Um, that right. has great value. Now, now, this is a point of, of great dissonance. You know, uh, for it's almost painful for data scientists to hear. They don't want to hear that that like the advanced math isn't where all the value is. You know, and mm-hmm. I'm not saying that there's not value in advanced math sometimes, but I am saying that like um, the more heady the math in general, um, it hurts more than helps because mm-hmm. like you'll yeah you'll make it five percent better and and nobody will know what the hell you're doing, including the guy who takes over your model when you leave the company. You know, <laughs> um, and so yeah, that's true. So I mean, the first thing is is like. Um, it's funny. There's, there's this line in the uh, the, the, uh, the Tao Te Ching, uh, which is, um, and this is slightly dated line, but it says like, um, uh, "Know the masculine, but stick to the feminine." And I would say like, mm. you know, and, uh, and I think I think what he was trying to say, and, you know, in, in his four thousand year old line, is like, "Know how to be tough, but try to be nice." Flexible, right? And I feel when, when it comes to to um, data science, it's like know how to do the heavy math, but try not to. Because like it, 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 you know, it hurts more than it helps. You know, like you're, throwing intimidating equations at every problem is not the answer any more than like you know, fist fighting every person you know you meet is. You know, because it's just um, and so, so I would say that 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 that, that, that uh, is yes. One is don't fall in love with the math. Uh, second is um, hone your mathematical skills. It's important, but also hone your explanation skills because your explanation skills will matter just as much. You know, the ability to articulate exactly what you're doing, why you're doing it. I'm not saying that I'm necessarily the best in the world, but, you know, if, if you can, you know, work on, on both writing and verbal to, um, you know, to explain things, because you're going to need to. Because right. this, this idea people have that, that, that all people bow at the altar of high mathematics, and that if you make mm-hmm. this, like, fancy-dancy algorithm that everybody's just going to use it, is false. Like, you're going to have to persuade people on why they can trust it. Um, and why they're better off using it. And a lot of that's going to have, I mean, they're going to have questions like, well, why does it say what it says? And, uh, and, and then that, and that's, that's an explanation problem, you know? Mm. And so, yeah, so I'd say like, those will be the two biggest things. One is don't, don't fall in love with the math and learn, you know, hone your explanation skills as much as you hone your mathematical skills. Because I ultimately, that's, that's, I think that's, that's, that's beautifully said. And, and, and I think, um, I, I love it. Um, and, and and to our audience, I would I would like to say that so I had bunch of interesting questions planned for Brett, and he I think you are so fascinating. Like I, I'm barely half in 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 my list, so probably <laughs> probably I'll 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 pull you in for a, for a, for a, for a, for a second round. Uh, at, but oh, wow. I think I think we learned a lot. I think one of the thing one of the takeaway that I that I think from from your conversation is uh, again humanize your math. I think that's you are doing. I think that's remarkable right for sure right and then and then your insights on um don't be fancy dancy on on using math just be flexible be communicative be and 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 get your in get other people's input in your model i think those are some of the exceptionally fascinating thoughts that even we are seeing from some some of the exceptional leaders doing who are actually uh rolling out the practice in a, in a very successful way so i think that's a, a great takeaway for our audience and and bread again Thank you so so much uh, for being so much generous with your time, and and walking us through your journey, being very candid about it, and sharing your journey through how uh, you worked on that model 
and 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 pretty much walking us through the process of what it takes to deliver uh, a fascinating forecasting algorithm. I think thank you so much, and love to have you again, as I said, <laughs> for the for the part two, and 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 ever again to 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 learn from you, and and to share your wisdom with our audience. Oh, it's been my pleasure. So thank you so much, Michelle. Uh, I thought I was sick of home, but actually I was homesick. Never really knew that I would have to grow up so quick. I'm so uncomfortable, don't know anybody here. Just a couple dudes that I met once, that's it. Then I go into the booth feeling nervous. Got butterflies in my stomach like I'm so worthless. Is the mic on? I don't know how to work this. Inside I'm breaking down, I hope I'm not up on a certain...